again, everyone, and welcome to episode number 22 on the 20. It just rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? It really does. 22. It really does. 22, you say it backwards, it's the same number. Can you believe we yeah, I, have made it that far? And I just want to say, in light of what, in light of your comment just there, Jim, I, right, right off the bat, I want to say how much you've grown as a host. <laughs> You know, because right. you would have never come well, up with actually, such a clever... I haven't, done, I haven't even said the name of our show. I haven't introduced... I haven't I know, done all the things just, you like. And just yet, the way that you said 22, you've grown so much as a person <laughs> and a host, your creativity, numerically, professionalism. It's, all, it's just inspiring. It's been great. I'll tell you, this is, in case you're wondering, the Living the Grace Life podcast. I am your host, Jim Hobbs. I am joined... That was the voice of Joe Davis, our senior pastor at... Grace Life Sarasota doing his thing here and what has been a very hot, I got to say, you love it hot, Joe, but this October has, this been, has been very hot. Is that okay with you or do you prefer? No, it's okay and I'm ready for the weather to change, but it is changing soon. We've had some warm fronts come through. We it's did. Gonna get cooler. We it's got get 70 cooler. in the morning, which is nice. And as always in our booth, Wayne, the man behind the scenes of Jump Dog Audio Productions. Wayne, do you like the... Hot weather this late in the season? Or are you? No. You were in Indiana. Come on. No, I don't like the hot weather. It's too hot, right? I, it is. I, I like low humidity. Yes, that would be low humidity. Would I'm be just nice. So sick of the whining. It's just <laughs> by. It's are you hot. self? Are you, are you doing self exploration? What are you doing? Over there? <laughs> it's too hot. It's too humid. Well, the good news is, if you are out there reading, and we know you are. Joe's book, The Grace Life, What Philippians Teaches Us About Loving One Another Relentlessly. We have worked our way now to chapter six. We got through the entire chapter, but we will be doing the questions in the back of the book and answering your questions as well. If you do have a question, you can email us as always at Living the Grace Life Podcast. That's Living the Grace Life Podcast at gmail.com. Be sure to email us so that we can get your question read on air. We've got some tough ones in here today, Joe. Mm. Are you? Did you bring your? Now I would say a game, but you like my numbers. Did you bring your number one game? I'm ready to go, baby. Joe's ready. ready We're ready. Let's get the show on the road. You just said it wasn't too hot. It's not too hot. Well, then we just heard it was too hot. That's because we... It's too look, hot. I spent I spent hours picking out the bumper music. <laughs> and so... It's well worth... that. You knew how that intro was going to flow. I did. That's like... <laughs> that's truly... In, Although in I would future. hate to hear you sing it because Bon Jovi can't yeah, do yeah, that song. Right. You're a Bon Back Jovi. You, you, you can do Bon Jovi, I but I don't do think bon you can Jovi. do R&B. I don't think... R&B, that's, uh, you know, not even... 
Not even Bon Jovi can pull that off, maybe. <laughs> so, yeah, we are here wrapping up Chapter 6, which for those of you out there following along, it started on page 73. It was called Beware of the Dogs, or Beware of Dogs. And it's been great because we've been exploring early here Philippians 3, 1 to 3. And just in case people have not uh, heard, you can go back and listen to a couple of the old podcasts, but Philippians 3, 1 to 3 says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. That really, that that catches so many people off guard, I know, because my son, who goes to IMG, every Wednesday they have a faith ba- I'm surprised they still huh. do this. They have a faith-based meeting, and their topic was Philippians 3. And what he actually said stood out to him was rejoice in the Lord, which I thought was interesting because at IMG or a lot of sports academies, the idea is performance. Right. The idea is about you. And you put in the time and you put in the effort, which I get. I mean, there's something to that, right? But then I guess, how do we differentiate that? Because here it says, put no confidence in the flesh. So what kind of message are we sending? Are we sending a a wrong (laughs) message to you coached? I think. I mean, does does that, how do we send a message to athletes that says you got to put in the effort, you got to put in the work, but actually it is about rejoicing in the Lord and put no confidence in the flesh. Isn't that conflicting? Well, in context, what Paul is talking about confidence in the flesh, he is talking about confidence in humanity. So what's happening is, we know we've talked about the history of this passage before. Mm-hmm. There were people coming behind Paul, and they were trashing him, and they were trashing his message of the gospel about salvation by faith through grace. The Judaizers were coming behind and saying, no, you need circumcision, you need all these other laws. And he says, these are dogs. These are evildoers. We put confidence in grace, rejoice in God, and rejoice in the Lord, because he is your salvation, and put no confidence not only in our own ability, but also in the words of men. He says, the gospel I preach to you is the gospel of Jesus. So when he says no confidence in the flesh, it's a very, it's a very wide-ranging phrase, not just about effort. What you talked about with athletics. Does that, yeah, does that mean no effort? No, I guess. No, it doesn't. Now, what I like about athletics as a coach, it is sort of like a microcosm of the free market. You're going to get in what you get out. Every once in a while, you might get lucky, but for the most part, the team with the better talent and the better work ethic and the better coaching usually wins. Got it. But with spirituality, what Paul teaches us in Romans and he teaches us in Philippians says in Romans 5, verse 4 and 5, to him who works, it's not counted as grace, but counted as more debt. So in other words, to him who has confidence in the flesh to get him to be connected to the Father, what the Father actually sees when he looks as that is more sinfulness that you need saving from because it's action outside of grace and mercy, if that makes sense. It does. What you're saying there then is if you want to get real with yourself and you're going to say, okay, let's let's do look at performance in the flesh, you're not going to see something good. You're going to see you are even worse than yep. you think. That's how much... God loves and cares for you. And the, and the other side of it too, Jim, is sometimes we put confidence in people. And that's what Paul is talking about as well. Don't have confidence in the dogs. Mm. 
have confidence in the gospel, have con- rejoice in Christ. It doesn't mean be glad in Christ. What Re- is the, what's the difference? Okay, rejoice has as its root word joy. And the way I've defined joy for our people is it's the supernatural satisfaction with the presence of God over anything else under any circumstances. With the presence of God. With the supernatural satisfaction with the presence of God or anything else or our circumstances. So what Paul is saying is be satisfied with the presence of God through the gospel and put no confidence in the flesh. The flesh cannot get you connected to Father either by your own effort or the efforts of others. Sometimes what happens is we will idolize certain people, certain pastors, certain preachers, Paul says, no, don't have confidence in them. That's the flesh too. He's not calling them all dogs. Mm -hmm. But in this particular situation, he is saying, don't have confidence in the dogs. Early on, he said, don't have confidence in yourself. Mm. It's in Christ. Mm -hmm. But also don't have confidence in the efforts of others because it is the gospel that saves us. So as a coach, how do you deal with that? Like that to me, the response, like I coached my son playing over in Paris. And so- I kind of felt a responsibility to them. And I was big always on positivity and empathy. Those are in the, you know, strength finder stuff. I, 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 that's sort of my, and strategy. Mm-hmm. So I come in, activate the team, get them excited. Right. You know, like I remember one of AJ's best friends, his name was Mateo. He comes up to me, it's halftime. We just go over everything. We're down by like four. Yeah. And Mateo didn't play a lot, but he he, he had to play. Everybody's got to play. So Mateo, <laughs> go over all the strategy. Here's who you're guarding, blah, blah, blah. They're tipping the ball off. Mateo runs over to me. He goes, are we on offense or defense? Perfect. I said, Mateo, it depends. <laughs> We're playing basketball now. Oh, <laughs> We're <man>. playing. <laughs> so how? So <laughs> this is a great. Okay, this is. A, I get your question. This is a. That's a great story, by the way. And I have a dozen of these. Yeah, I want to hear kids. When I was coaching, there was a there was a concept that I tried to teach our our players, and I I taught high school guys, high school girls, middle school guys, you did middle school girls, basketball and basketball football, and football. Right? Okay. Yeah, for years, almost uh, twenty years combined. Wow. What I taught them was there's there's two ways to play. You can play with arrogance. That's confidence in the flesh. When you play with arrogance, you think you're better than the other team. You cut corners. Uh, your effort isn't where it's supposed to be. You don't respect your opponent by playing sloppy and not being prepared mentally, physically, emotionally. It's almost entitled a little bit. Yes. Okay. So you can play with arrogance or you can play with humble confidence. Humble confidence stems from the fact I know that for me to be successful in this game, I as a player and we as a team have to work hard in practice. We have to run our plays right. We have to respect the ability of our opponent that they could beat us if we don't play right and respect them, show them respect by playing well. Don't make shortcuts when it comes to defense. Get down in the right stance. Don't be lazy. Don't hoist shots you shouldn't take. You know, or in football, don't don't take plays off or whatever, because that's arrogance. Humble confidence says, I have to make sure I do things correctly. And then because of that, I have confidence that I'm going to do well. Maybe not win, maybe I lose, but I know this. If I play with humble confidence and it shows by the preparation I put in beforehand that I have respected my opponent and I've respected the game and I'm going to do the best I possibly can because I'm playing with humble confidence. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's the way I would Well, it does, it. but then how would, it does, it makes a lot of sense. So the word in that case, humble, 
that gets people hung up because there's this sort of false humility. And we've touched on that a little bit, which is, oh, you know, like it would be, let's say, like Michael Jordan saying, well, you know, my, my defense is OK. But and you're like, oh, come on. You are one of the greatest players of all time. Maybe that's not the number one thing you do. You, I mean, like, there's a way people try and use humility to kind of act like they're doing. But you're saying <coughs> humble confidence is something that's not in your own performance or your skill set. You have to put that humility, though, in something. Like, I see it in Christ. Like, right. Okay, that makes sense. You can call me what you want. You can do what you want. My confidence is in Christ. That's the humility piece that's connected to a greater foundation. How do you do that as a coach? Because what does that humility as a kid look like if they don't have that kind of – because you can't really talk about – or can you talk about Scripture? and code? Well, Like that can get messy. In, right? my, so. in, in my coaching opportunities, I was pretty blessed. Some of it was in a private school where I could do whatever I wanted. But I was also in public school settings where the athletic directors and the principals knew who I was and allowed me the freedom to do what I needed to do. So how you coach humility right. is teaching the players, it's not about you. It's not about your stat line. It's not about how loud your parents are cheering in the stands. It's about what you as a team accomplish. Another phrase I would always tell them is this, winning reveals what you might be. You might be good, mm. but losing reveals exactly what you are because losing pinpoints your weaknesses. Usually when you lose a game, you can point to, well, here's why I lost. We did this. We did that. Sometimes you do those things and you win. So winning reveals what you might be. <clears throat> you might be good, but losing always reveals exactly what you are. And so what you begin to recognize, the humility side of it is even when we win, it's not because we're better or sometimes you're lucky. Right, you know? right. When it comes to spirituality, the humility comes in the fact that Christ has done the work. We can't do the work, but we also know there's this supernatural interaction with the Spirit of God when we are called out of darkness into light and God gives us the gift of faith, the ability to believe, the ability to receive Christ. When that happens, mm. the humility is a result of recognizing, I could not do this on my own. Yeah. And so now... Because of the work of Christ, I am motivated to continue with humble confidence in how I walk with Christ. Confidence in the work of Christ. He put in the work. Right. He put in the practice. He did the pain. He did all the, the, the death, the burial, the resurrection. And because of, I, had, I can have humble confidence in how I approach my daily living. Right. It's not then your performance has to be perfect. You don't have to then get everything right. In fact, you are by design not going to, and that's right. the idea. But you are still compelled by the Spirit to go, okay, well, then that goes into really the first question that you're asking here on page 84. This is chapter 6. The questions area for uh, this particular chapter, it says, have you ever been asked how Christianity differs from other major religions? What did you answer? How would you explain God's grace to someone from a non-Christian background? So what you're just saying answers in effect that question in the sense that Christianity may be the only type of religion where it is not about your performance. It's about the performance of what's already been done for you by a loving God this who sent his makes, son. Is that what you're getting at? Yeah, and this is what makes Christianity unique, and it truly is unique. Every other world religion, 
at least the ones that I have learned, mm -hmm. are all about a list of things or a pathway that you are to pursue to achieve the favoritism or achieve blessing from a higher power, whether it's a law or, you know, whatever, whatever you're, you're, here's what you must do to gain the favor of this higher power. Ten Commandments. Isn't this sort of uh, ironic, paradoxical way to, I mean, isn't that what, in essence, the Israelites were attempting to do then with well, the actually, Ten Commandments? I mean, we're, we're, Paul explains what the purpose of the Ten Commandments was. It was a, he says it was a tutor to bring us to the point where we realize we need a Savior. And so Paul makes that very clear. The Ten Commandments were a list of things to go by, what, what God expected of his people, but God never expected his people to fulfill those. He knew they wouldn't. For, as a matter of fact, the scripture says that's why Christ was slain before the foundation of the world. Before Adam and Eve were even created, God knew the plan of salvation involved the sacrifice of his son so that we might live. And Christianity is different from all other religions in the fact that the, the highest power, the authoritative God power, provides a way to connection with him that is based upon his work, not those of his followers. It is the only religion in the world that's, that has a God that says, you are not going to be able to achieve the level you need to. So I am going to endure the pain, pay the price, and bring you to a place where you will be able hmm. to connect with me. And you will, I will be your God and you will be my people, not because you have arrived, but because I intervened. Don't you think that is what the church, and I hate using that word, but there was just a survey that came out that said for the first time since they've taken surveys, Protestantism is less than 50%. People identify themselves, 49% of people identify themselves as Protestant. Last time it was 57%. Time before that was 68. Catholics went from 14 to 12%. Anyway, it, it's it's going down, down, down. And so the idea that people that see religion as a way of being morally good or performing a certain way, is that why Jesus, it seems like in most of his parables, he's not yelling at people. He's rescuing and healing them. He's He's poking at the, the, the Pharisees, which were the religious leaders of the day, that, hey, that's not what religion—like, what you're getting at almost sounds like what Christ was getting at in the sense that it's not about you and your performance. It's about what it is that I'm going to do. And because I say, as Christ, you belong, you belong. It's so this belonging thing, like churches will decide if someone goes church shopping, I hate that word too. And then they're like, Oh, I, I didn't feel welcome. Yeah, church there. shopping, that's really that's like, a really that could fun be a whole sounding, other <laughs> You know, this <laughs> whole this whole thing about surveys, I dismiss them. Okay. I don't dismiss the fact that there are problems in the church, especially in America. You don't need a survey to tell you that. That's been the case since day one. I mean, look sure. look what look what look Paul <laughs> and John had to deal with in Asia Minor with the with the Gnostics. And look what Paul was dealing with with the Philippians, with the Judaizers. Those are His the two, favorite church. Those are the two groups, by the way, that really spawned the need for almost all the books written in the New Testament: Judaizers and Gnostics. Hmm. So mm -hmm. all the books in the New Testament were born out of a need to combat those two forces. So there's always been problems in the church as far as, far as how people identify with Protestant. I think I think that's just a, a service of languages and words evolving because at one point. Protestant was 
really meant I am protesting the corruption that is taking place in the church. Exactly. So I protest it. Protestant. People don't even realize that Protestant means protester. Right. So, but now what's happened is that label is not as important in 2019 as it was maybe in 1900 or 1850 or, you know, 1000 AD or whatever. What's becoming more important now is at this point, I think, is identification with a group of people, not a label. And so that's where the church is strong. And I can say this with confidence for this reason. I don't believe that the church's growth is based upon how good man's ability is to get people to make decisions. Mm -hmm. I don't believe that people are regenerated or saved by a decision. I believe a decision that somebody makes for Christ is a result of a prior work of the work of Christ and the gospel and the spirit of God. And so while there might be some surveys that give us some concerns, remember those surveys are done with the mindset of, well, this is the way the church looked in the 1940s, you know? Well, who's to say the 40s were the glory days of the church? It definitely was not. Right. And so, you know, the glory days of the church was probably, you know, Pentecost. And it's been downhill from there. <laughs> Maybe I'm just kidding. But this <laughs> Maybe is not. But this is my point. I'm not so worried about, you know, how a label shows up in a survey because I know that God is sovereign in his church. And those people that have no confidence in the flesh, they are that way because sovereignty of God has intervened and saved them. I hope that makes sense. That's me in the corner. That's me in the spot. Like losing my religion. Trying to keep up with you. And I don't know if I can do it. Oh, you like, you're picking, you're you're picking some good stuff. I'm pretty good at this, right? And you know, Wayne likes You know, it's them. so funny. Whenever I come up with an... We'll do a segment, just so people know. I don't really pick these out after hours and oh, hours. Oh, no. No. We do a section. I say, you know what song would go good with that? And every time I pick a song, like, Wayne is like, opened up a... He's over there. Oh, that's good. And he's, he's writing excited. it down. He gets know, a big I smile see. on his face. And he starts writing down. And he knows exactly what lyrics he's going to cut out of the song. That's how and you know. And luckily, then Wayne has never ga- given you like a frown. Or no, like he has scowled. Oh, he has. What song did he not like? I don't remember. But but <laughs> after our session one day, he called me and says, "He go here. You ready, Pastor Joe? I think you might want to rethink this song. <laughs> well, why, Wayne? Well, and then he'll go into the lyrics of the song. He goes, that's just not going to be a good look. And was he right? I think he's probably right. Well, I was angry about it, but of course he was right. (laughs) You're probably like, not that segment. And I I said, so here's what I did when he told me that. Fine, Wayne. And then I hung up and then I played that song really loud in my truck on the way home. (laughs) Just... Just to spite Wayne, just to get, oh my goodness. Well, that, I mean, losing, I mean, I mean, losing my religion, it almost sounds like from what you said last segment, where Protestant means protest, reformation would mean to reform the way things are being done. Mm -hmm. The idea was to lose your religion. Like that was the way it was done. So when you say here on page 85, the question is, why does bad theology prevent us from experiencing all benefits of the grace life? Can false beliefs creep in without you noticing? And what kind of things do you find yourself believing instead of relying on God's grace alone? How 
does someone know when they need to lose their religion, the one that's not working, and that that is bad theology? How, how do you know if it's good theology or bad theology? Man, that is a really that is a really tough question. So obviously, the first church answer was, "Well, you got to spend time in your Bible, and <clears throat> you got to pray," and and all that is true. But I think one of the important things that we have. The whole thing that Philippians does for me is it is it just really puts a high core value on togetherness as a church, mm, mm, a family of mm. believers surrounding themselves. With one. As a matter of fact, one of the favorite episodes we did is when you liked it, when I said something that got everybody that listens to this podcast, not everybody, but a lot of people angry, Good. where I think, I think where you said, I think you're foolish if you think you can walk with Christ without the church. I didn't mean the church as an institution. I meant the church as God's community, people. A community. God's people. I think, all right. So one of the best safeguards against bad theology is community. That's right. the first thing. I feel like so often the one of the ways you can determine if bad theology is creeping in is when there starts to be anxiety about your connection to the Father. So Paul says, have no confidence ah, in the flesh. Interesting. Okay. In Philippians 3, 1 to 3, have no confidence in the flesh. Well, the, the flesh is exactly the reason why I would have anxiety about my connection with the Father. Ah. He says, have your supernatural satisfaction with the presence of God over anything else. Rejoice mm-hmm. in Christ and have no confidence in the flesh. Right. Here's the ultimate test of truth. Are you ready? No. This is what I tell no. <laughs> sure. I'm Here's not. what I tell people when they have a question. And I might answer, well, how can I know this if you're not around or whatever? Here's the test of truth. If it gives you or any other man any credit, it's a lie. Mm. If it gives mm. God all the credit, it's true. And I think I think that's the best way to analyze every thought. Does it give man any credit? For example, I love Billy Graham. He has a magazine called Decision Magazine. Well, the very title is terrible. Because that gives man credit. Man has chosen God. You know, oh, man. it yeah. is not about a decision. Uh, it is about it yeah. is about redemption through the through the sovereign work of Christ. So, which one gives man more credit, a decision, or when God gave you the ability to see and have the gift of faith? It's hard, right? Because then someone wants to say, everyone, you know, hey, when did you come to? When? What was your conversion moment, or what? Like it. And sure. then here's how many people, you know, I had a, a friend of mine who's who's a pastor who we were talking about what it's like to be there when someone gives their life to Christ. And I was like, well, how many people have you um, have you helped give their life to Christ? And he was like, the church phrase is led to Jesus. Like, yes. Yeah. Led to Jesus. He said, I, he said, I, I don't do I don't do any of that. He's like. I don't convert anyone. He's like, I'm a, I bear witness to what it is. That God, and I was like, really? I'm like, you hear these, you know, Come amazing on, moments. Yeah. And I'm like, he's like, have you ever been in the room when someone gave their life to Christ? I was like, um, you know, I don't think so. He's like, well, just trust me on this. When it happens, you will know. And you will know that you're doing nothing. Oh, my you're goodness. a witness to what God is. And then... <laughs> It was literally like eight hours later. That's when my wife was upstairs in, in, in the bedroom and she was like shaking. And sh- she was like, I don't know what's happening. Something. And I looked at her and I said, oh, sh- you're giving your life to Christ. Oh, <laughs> I, got to, I got to witness the most important person in my life give their life to Christ. 
right after having a discussion well, this with this guy. This is also on two levels. Dead. First of all, right? I want people to know that Wayne did not edit that. You stopped yourself. That was <laughs> very did. good. That was not a seven-second rule. But yeah. secondly, <laughs> the whole idea, you know, and look, I've been guilty of using that phrase, leading someone to Christ. That gives man a little credit. Right, you know, and so right. that's not, there's no confidence in the flesh. There's no confidence in the flesh. And so in reality, bearing witness doesn't mean that I've declared. What it means is I got to watch it. Right. I got to watch it. And all the gospels are written by people who bore witness. They saw the work of Christ. We're getting ready to start a new series at Grace Life on the gospel of Mark. Mm. And I'm excited about it. You know, Mark was, it seems to be the first written gospel. It does. It moves fast. It's, it's Which quick. I like, yeah. by the way. Right. So yeah. but anyway, I guess, I guess the point being, if it gives man any credit, it's a good chance that there is some bad theology creeping in. And what do you do then when you see bad theology? So let's say, like, we just talked about community is important. I bring the hammer down, baby. No, <laughs> That's it. You're like, <laughs> on behalf of the heavens. I'm going to put a podcast out, and I'm going to promote it on social down. media. Fire and brimstone. That's I mean, right. what... What what do you do then when there's so in the community a divisive social media tweet? I'm going to do something in today's world. Yeah, I yeah. mean, so I mean, so bad. The there will be if the church is a if what you're saying here, community is really everything, and there is a division. There are some concerns about bad theology or something going on within the church. Ah, what do you like? How do you walk the line to be guiding them as sort of their leader, but at the okay, same so, time? So like... there, there is a there is an underlying concept that Paul teaches about this as well. He says some are preaching the gospel for bad reasons, mm. for money. He said, but I'm going to tell you this: in the end, because he has no confidence in the flesh, I rejoice, mm. supernaturally satisfied with the presence of God, because. Whether for the right reasons or the wrong, Christ is being preached. So what is great? What Paul is planning, no confidence. All publicity is good. <laughs> I guess I guess that's what he's saying. But here, here's what it really means. Jim, God never works because of us. Huh. He always uh-huh. works in spite of us. I'm so thankful because I believe in the sovereign grace of God. And as a pastor, I am so reliant upon it. Because I'll tell you, if, if I'm going to be effective as a pastor... And it's contingent upon how good a Christian I am. I'm in trouble. My church is in trouble. You're in trouble. We're all in trouble. Because you know what? I don't, though, because I have no confidence in the flesh. Right. Well, that's the idea. I mean, it sounds like that's what's being taught. You end this, by the way, with an action here on page, bottom of page 85. You say, plan how you could compassionately refute in a way that encourages and builds up the hearer, this is when it comes to false doctrines, and then you have an area to make notes. But you say here, plan how you could compassionately refute. What I, do, do people today know what compassionately refute means? Well, hopefully, like, hopefully they'll learn uh, maybe a small glimpse of it today. I have found there are two ways that, that I like to combat false theology. One is how it makes me feel good. Fire and brimstone. Yeah, like baby. Saying. Like a football Hammer coach down. coming on in, you know? And that, I love winning an argument. Man, that feels good and it accomplishes nothing. Huh. I think the best way to refute false theology or weak theology is, well, let me tell you what I have learned, what Christ has done for me mm. and how it has transformed my life. So if I want to talk about the sovereignty of God and salvation, I might say, 
for years, I was so concerned whether or not I made the right decision the right way, prayed the right prayer, said the right words. If I did, I really, 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 really mean it, or did mm. I just mean it? it? Was I intense enough? Did I? I remember for years before I understood the sovereignty of God, I prayed the prayer of salvation all the time because I you were I, afraid well, almost and I had, would mess I did, it up. I didn't realize it, but I had no confidence in the flesh. But the day that I realized and I was taught, you didn't choose God. You have not chosen me but I have chosen you, Jesus Uh, says. uh. When I learned that concept, it freed me up to understand what it meant to live in grace, to live the grace life. So I guess what I mean is, what I would say to someone is, let me tell you what it did for me. That's great. I mean, that hits at the heart of this idea, like we just talked about on church shopping, where the, if we, if Christ says, I've chosen you, you belong it doesn't matter who you are or what you've done or anything else, you belong, mm-hmm. period. There is no, there's nothing else that has to be said or done or performed. He is the one. It's like in John, I think it's John 5, the guy who for 38 years has been uh, invalid or whatever, and right. he can't move. And and he's, Jesus comes up to him and he says, do you want? to be healed. And the guy doesn't say yes. He says, well, I've been here and all these people keep cutting me off and I can't get in the water to get here. But he he doesn't say yes. And Jesus says, get up, take up your mat, heals him Mm -hmm. on the spot. Jesus decides when he's going to intervene, when he's going to heal. Why is it why is it that we are so afraid sometimes of the fact that we don't have a role in our salvation? Right. We're so afraid of it. In the end, man, I am glad that's the way God works. Because if it were up to me, there's no chance. It's huge. No chance. Because if, if there's a way for me to screw it up, trust me, I'll do it. I mean, because look, on the way Me home, too. on the way home, I will play a song that I shouldn't play. That Wayne, won't that like. Wayne has already denied <laughs> morally, and you know what? Oh. It. I mean, there was a prince. The I'll finish. The guy who was a president at Princeton Theology uh, was teaching there. This is a story a friend tells me, and he walks into one of the classes one day, all the students in seminary, and he says, "Guys, I've got great news. Your life is worthless." Ah. <laughs> Everybody looked at him. He's like, "That's how much God loves you. Your life." Will have meaning when was this? and purpose. I don't know. A long it had time. to be a long time ago, right? To think about now, right? <laughs> so, to, your life has meaning and has purpose because of what God says mm. and what Christ has done. Not you're going to save the world, which it's hard, right? I mean, people yeah. don't want to. They don't want to hear that. It is a relief. I know when I hear it now, it's it's a huge relief. So, well, it's not a relief that that's going to be the end of this episode, Joe. We've got episode 22 in the book, starting episode 23. We will get into chapter seven of your book, Living the Grace Life, what Philippians teaches us about loving one another relentlessly. This one's called Be Really, oh, well, here you go. Yeah. Be Really, Really Bad at Religion. Yeah. You mean that? I really do. Well, <laughs> mainly because I just don't want to be alone be in that area. 
So you can join us, right? Hey, if if you're really, really bad at religion, come to Grace Life, Wow, I don't need this. I've already done that. I've spent my life doing that. So that's coming up on the next episode. But for now, all of us here on behalf of Pastor Joe, Wayne, our studio man behind the scenes at Jump Dog Audio Productions, I'm Jim Hobbs. And just remember, whatever you do, each and every day, keep looking to Christ so he can keep you living the Grace Life. Let's go.